Welcome back to the Rod the Podcast. It's your host, Mike May, joined by the other host, Jordan Betts. Jordan, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, brother. Good to be here. Uh, another virtual uh, podcast tonight, but a lot of good content to talk about. I'm excited to jump in. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, obviously, we're coming off the Florida Panthers game from last night. Um, it had the feeling of a playoff game, to say the least. It got very chippy. Um, it was a great measuring stick for the Hurricanes. Uh, it, it, I thought it was an important time to have a game like that because now we're getting to the point where we got to start talking about where's the team now? Where do we think they need to be come playoff time? What do you think we need to do between now and the trade deadline? So let's let's start by talking about the game last night. What what are some of your thoughts? I think this is a, as you said, a, a great measuring stick. But to frame the discussion tonight, we're kind of going to use this game as like a macro jumping off point to dissect um, where the team is at right now, and obviously. Um, since the break, they're one, two, and two. Um, they they gave away. They had big deficits versus Ottawa and Minnesota, and were able to, you know, cut it and didn't get all the way back. Two tough losses there. Add in a overtime loss to Toronto in a game that was very winnable, uh, and kind of sandwiched in between that the the blowout versus Boston, who they they've dominated all season, and that kind of led us into this you know heavyweight matchup last night between what I think is fairly clearly the, the two top teams in the East, at least you know, two are the top three. Um, and, and a team that, hey, I, I think there's a very realistic possibility um, that they're playing here in a couple months in a playoff series. Um, initial thoughts, uh, Florida was better last night, and I, I'm not sure it's that close, uh, despite really holding a, a lead late into the third uh, after the kind of weakish Tony D'Angelo goal to go up 2-1. Um, you know, Florida was able to capitalize and score and tie it up and send the overtime and quickly score after that. But to me, in, in the third period, well, the Canes have two shots. I, I, I turned to you in the middle of the game. I was like, this is really just a low event period. Uh, Florida has been dominant. But even with all that, e- even with, you know, framing it that way, I think the real issue showed up in the first two periods. And that's with the Canes having the lead. Um, it was the physicality of, of the Panthers, and I I didn't think uh, Carolina answered the bell. Um, you know that that doesn't mean you have to break out into a bunch of fights. I mean, it was very clearly clear that Florida had uh, the game plan to to kind of try and bully Carolina, and it makes me wonder as we get into the playoffs. And this is something that we questioned not only last year but the year before that. Um, and the 2019 run, too, when, when Michael Furland was in and out of the lineup. Where is that physical presence and edge uh, that they need when it comes to playing playoff hockey? So it, it's definitely a concern for me. Clearly, even though they have high-end skill, Florida didn't want to play a skill game with Carolina. They they, they slowed it down, uh, and they, they made it physical. And so, yeah, I have my concerns. What about you? Yeah, um, I agree with your sentiment. The Canes certainly were outplayed last night. Florida, when you look at their whole team, is very fast. They have the ability to play very physical, and they have the ability to play high-skill hockey. They are as close of a comparison, in my opinion, to the Hurricanes in terms of the way they can play hockey. Um the physicality side, it isn't even close. Um, it's it's tough. I know the organization has the view that you don't necessarily need physicality to win hockey games. And in the regular season, I probably agree with that sentiment. And I don't want to be the guy that says you need you need toughness, you need physicality to win in the playoffs. Like I don't I don't I'm not exactly sure what the what you really need but you can't be bullied right you don't need to be the aggressor necessarily on the side of physicality but you certainly can't be pushed around because there's it's not going to work um especially it would be one thing if you weren't a physical team and 
you were a team that drew a ton of penalties and didn't take many, but that's obviously not the case with the Hurricanes, right? So they're not playing physical. They're in the box a ton. They play a very aggressive forecheck, and they're all over the teams. Don't get me wrong. We're not – I wouldn't I wouldn't want to characterize this as soft because the way the team forechecks and the aggressiveness they play with in that nature, they, they are a very difficult team to play against. But they have put themselves in a position – where they're easy to, to bully. I mean, look at look at the game last night. It starts off with the Svech hit on Bennett. It's not a good hit by Svech. I don't think there was malice in it. Um, I think Bennett turned. Svech had already committed to making the hit. It wasn't a good hit. It is what it is, right? Obviously, he's now got a target on his back, quite literally his back, because not what? A couple minutes later... We're all sitting there watching it happen. It almost felt like slow motion. As you see Hornquist approach, Svech from behind. He travels a distance for that hit, and it's, it was a horrendous hit. Um, Hornquist definitely has scumbag in him. I'm not going to mince words. I, I do not like him in terms of the cheap things he does on the ice. He has a history of doing it. I think that hit was absolutely horrible, and I – honestly think that he sh- he should have been kicked out of the game. I, I don't understand how that's not a game ki- misconduct, especially if you want to control the pace of the game and keep things from escalating. Well, we, we know the rest in this, this league oftentimes, uh, and you saw it on a number of calls last night, they referee or they legislate on result. So Stetch's head basically goes through the bench door that just happened to be open. If his head collides with the boards, it's a game misconduct. Instead, it's just you know a two-minute minor, um, and we don't need to touch on how the Canes botched that five-on-three. But the the bigger issue is there. You know <laughs> how many you know um, weak tripping calls or the cross check quote unquote cross check on Ian Cole just reg- legislating result last night from the refs. It, it, you know, I'm not a make excuses and blame the refs guy, but that was one of the more poorly officiated games that I'd seen. But to me, it didn't matter. At, at this point in the season, we're, we're looking at process. How, how was the team playing? And everything you're saying about uh, the physicality of Florida, I think really caused uh, Carolina some issues. And, hey, I mean, the scoreboard is what it is. I mean, these two teams are going to be battling it out the rest of the way in the standings. You know, you'd like to have gotten two points, but you'll take one. They could have scored that that goal in the second period where I forget which uh, defender it was, you know, goes behind uh, Bobrovsky. It, it makes the save, you know, free play there. Spech had a tap in on that five-on-three power play. Uh, great save. I mean, Carolina had opportunities, but it just seems more of the fact that we're sitting up there watching the game together, and I, I turn to you when all the shenanigans are going on, uh, it's really physical in the first two periods. I'm going, who's the guy for Carolina that instills any fear in an opponent? And who's the guy that, if there has to be a fight, you know, steps up and, you know, know, answers the gauntlet. And I'm not sure who that is. And I I think we love the passion that, that Tony plays with but he's not the biggest guy and you don't have to be the biggest guy, but I'm not sure Carolina has an answer for that right now. And everyone knows that's going to be the recipe in the playoffs. And I don't think that means adding an enforcer because that's going to slow the whole team down, but you got to make an ad like Florida has in the past, bring in a a Barkley Gaudreau type player or a Blake Coleman, someone that is both skilled and physical, you know, like Michael Ferland was here, despite how that was not an acrimonious uh, relationship in the end, it gives me pause. And, and I'm not here pushing the panic button because of one game, but it really shows that there's a divide between the Canes being a regular season team and a playoff team. And I, I hate that they got that moniker, but hey, uh, Marchment puts the hit on Trocek, a, a hit that big helmet flies off, but I think we both agree um, with legal. It's, it's not a bad hit. Um, Ethan Bear is right there, you know, three paces away to step in and, and doesn't even engage. You know, 
you could say Spetch should have engaged. Well, he does like a, a loop around Trocek to at least go after Marchment and they exchange words. I don't want him getting in that fight. Your superstars aren't supposed to be that guy. But a defenseman, a, a bottom pairing defenseman, he's got to be that guy. And, and yeah. you don't have to get your face punched in, but at least engage and know that you're not going to be pushed around. And I felt the Canes kind of laid down at times last night and played a little timid, and it showed up late in the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, it's, it's just tough. I mean, you don't want to have to fight after every clean hit, right? But when you see one of your key players get hit, it's a clean hit. It's an aggressive hit, right? That hit, that hit had the intention of not feeling well like it's not this isn't a play along the boards this is this is this is a hit that marshman is laying to make a statement so what is your statement in return our statement the entire night when the physicality started was there is no answer there was no answer for hornquist right i mean martin hook did a flyby on him didn't hit him nothing there's there's no answer there's no answer for marchment and yeah, sure. Don't don't fight on clean hits, but every now and then you you gotta stand yeah, up for your teammate. You didn't have to fight him, but you gotta engage him. At, at least you know let him know that everyone saw it. And so I know there was people saying Seth should have fought him. Like I said, I I don't believe in that. I don't believe that your star player should do that. And you know maybe we need to have a more meta conversation about hey, should players have to engage when a clean hit happens? Well, it's it's not about acknowledging that was a clean hit. I'm sure those guys saw it. But in a way, you at least need to step up, engage with the guy, you know, get in his face a little bit more instead of hanging out by the blue line and show that we're not going to be bullied. Even if I know that's a clean hit, you're not going to do that to one of my guys. Because, yeah. hey, if you're out on Glenwood and one of your, your friends gets punched in the face, you're not just going to hang back on the sidewalk, right? I mean, you're at least going to yeah. – getting the person's face, right? I mean, Absolutely. And I mean, not that we can go and fighting at all times, but in yeah. the sport of hockey, it's part of the culture. And so you, 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 there's a physicality element to it and they shied away. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with everything you said, obviously. And, and even to the point of it being a clean hit, like it took us looking at replay to determine it was a clean hit. Right. So you see your teammate hit the ice the way he did with his helmet flying off. Unless you were just staring at the Trocheck hit, right, as a teammate, like the angle they have, there's it would be tough to just assume that was a clean hit, right? Like how how would how would your assumption be like, yeah, that's a clean hit. His helmet just flew off. Like that makes sense. That's what happens on most hits, right? No, that's not what happens. If you see your teammate get hit like that and his helmet goes flying off, then you got to answer the bell. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Go back to the bench, get your tablet, go, go get a replay of the hit. Make sure it was dirty before you actually go out. And you're like, what? Like you see that happen. There's got to be an answer. And right now, right. The Canes have no about answer. The ref, you know, calling things like re-legislating them based on results. Well, as a player, sometimes you have to do that too. And when you see the helmet come off a teammate and his body's flailing, like, okay, something wasn't good there. Um, and that doesn't mean immediate drop gloves. We see players engage with other players after something like that without it coming to, like, dropping the gloves and going at it. You can get physical with him at that time, and it doesn't necessarily hurt the team, but it sends the message to the Panthers or whoever your opponent is that night that you're not going to do that to us. You're not going to hit one of our, our better players um, like that and get away with it. And it just felt like once that ball got rolling, and that was – you know, you know, halfway through the game almost. It felt like once that ball got rolling in, in the first period after the fetch hit, it was all downhill from there. And, yep. you know, only a handful of guys that I feel like were even comfortable playing that game. Um, I, everyone here, you know, that listens to the podcast knows that I'm kind of the, the resident Dougie guy. I did see some uh, uh, Twitter discord that, you know, that last night was a signal that, uh, you know, that's that's the type of game versus a, you know, high-caliber opponent is why you need Dougie Hamilton. And everyone here knows I, I, I really like Dougie, and I was all for the team, you know, shelling out the big contract to him. And ultimately, I, I think it 
shows that, you know, I was probably wrong because Tony has far superseded expectations. But that kind of made me laugh, the, the Discord I was seeing, because that's the exact type of game that he struggles with. He, he's not a guy that typically has shown the, the willingness or desire to engage in that those types of situations. And so uh, I, I feel much better about ha- having Tony or, you know, uh, Tony especially uh, in those situations. Um, but, yeah, quick tangent there. I just thought that was funny because that was a real thing being discussed last night. Yeah, I think – I think the uh, highly physical, fast-paced games were definitely Dougie's weakness, um, which, unfortunately, that is what a lot of playoff hockey is. I think he improved in that area, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think that takes right. Scalings in those situations were, were largely overstated, but um, you had a few pretty glaring bad moments at those times, and that's kind of what we remember, but... Yeah, to, to think this team's in a worse place uh, because it didn't give Dougie Hamilton a $9 billion contract, I, I think um, is overreactionary. And when you look at where they're at in the standings, I mean, I know we're speaking, you know, not pushing the panic button, but expressing some level of concern. But th- there's no way to say that this season hasn't been a success and what you see on the ice isn't a, you know, at worst, a deep run playoff type team yeah no I totally agree it was it was definitely an interesting case study if you're going to take one game and look at it as defining of a season and your plan moving forward Um, the physicality piece obviously is is something that has scared us it's even more noticeable when Brendan Smith is not in the lineup Um, not saying that I think that he is the solution. I do think the Canes need to explore um, possible solutions that could bolster your physicality. Let's, let's jump off there, Mike. Um, yep. You know, not that we have to be done talking about this game, but, you know, speaking of either inserting Brendan Smith into the lineup or, or making a move, what are, what are some names that kind of stand out to you that, you know, are appealing that maybe makes this team a little more, uh, quote-unquote, playoff hockey ready well from the defensive side I think we need more defensive depth um I could honestly I would be happy with bringing in either a left-handed left team or a right-handed right D um obviously the big name out there that's available right now being Chikrin out of Arizona um good player high ceiling still very young he's only only 23 years old contract's pretty manageable because he's definitely got top pairing upside but he's got four it's 4.6 million i believe is his contract hit right now um obviously money would have to go out for him to come in it the question then becomes he's he's going to be on your left side of your defense who's moving where right who's moving in that deal um when i when i factor in cost that one just seems like a bridge too far. And I, I, I like Jacob Chikrin, but when, he, you know, I envisioning him, me envisioning him in a, in a Canes uniform means, you know, removing you know, probably Ian Cole right on the left side. Um, moving him to the right side, I would think. I would think he would be. Something like, yeah. But what that, I, I don't know. I, does that make you, I, I'm, I'm just not sure for the cost that's going to be that impactful. And, is he more skill or is he more or like adding him at obviously adds more skill to the lineup, but does it add skill and grit, which is kind of the type of player that I'm looking for. Cause I think we need a little bit more nasty and snarl and, you know, depth is going to be, uh, you know, a, a requisite add for this team at the deadline, just because, you know, they're going to play what 40 games and like two, you know, it's a ridiculous amount of games they're, they're sure. playing here in the regular season. But then you're going to have the attrition of the playoffs. So you're going to need bodies. And I, I just think paying a premium for a guy that while the would while he would make your team better, I think it's more of a, a nominal ad. Like he's a little bit redundant uh, talent-wise to kind of what you have. Even maybe if he is 
better than a Brady Shea or, you know, whatever. But I don't see you breaking up Shea and Pesci, so you're going to bring him in and play him on your third pairing? Like, No, I think you would definitely break up Shea and Pesci at that point. He's definitely he's definitely going to be better than Shea. I would think that it would immediately become Brady Shea on the third pairing with maybe Ian Cole. Um, you would throw him with Pesci. I mean, just by removing Ethan Bear and adding Chikrin, I think you're getting more skill. I think you're getting more physicality. I do think Chikrin has physical element to his game. And I think our defensive depth then would be like I think that would be really good and I think that the chicken deal is something that does that mean you can move in the off season Brady Shea or something like that and find a more cost effective third pairing defenseman um, or, or does PJ go out in this deal to make the money work does who does Shea go out in this deal I don't know that would that would make it that would make it make less sense for me because if we're trying to improve the depth for the playoff run, I would think you would want to have both. Um, I'm not I'm not sure that Shea is a player they'd be interested in. But I think going into next year, you would have to move him out, though, just because you can't be making, what, five-plus million dollars on the third pairing. Sure, yeah. I think I think it would be – if Chikrin came in, it would be the end. Yeah, you're totally right. So I mean that's where uh, that's what I see on that one. That one obviously is going to be harder to execute. He's going to be high on a lot of teams' lists. The the price is going to be very high, but I think that it would be a massive addition to the blue line. I think he would fit the style of play very well. I think he'd have an opportunity to be a power play two quarterback. Um, so he's one to keep an eye on. I think it's very. I don't think it's likely, so I wouldn't hold your breath on that one if we're going to continue looking on on the defensive side we've already talked about Klingberg that's a guy you're bringing in on the right side of your defense he's going to definitely be your power play two quarterback he's going to be cheaper than Chikrin he is a UFA so it's a rental deal because the money he's looking for after the season is up is probably close to Dougie money and he's older than Dougie and there's there's no way the Hurricanes are shelling that out so that would be an expensive rental. Um, not sure that I think it's the best fit in terms of cost, but I think offensively speaking, if we want to spark the power play a little bit, I think that he would be a great addition. I I, I do too. Um, I it, again, I just it's a really great player. I just after it, I think maybe I, I'm being prisoner of the moment a little bit. Like I'm just like we need to add guys with physicality and he he's not he's more of a finesse player that, that's not him he's a, a great offensive driver um i don't know i i just are the canes going to get big void when it matters and i think we're going to find out here sooner rather than later because we got some you know playoff-esque matchups coming up you know they're going to see pittsburgh uh for the first time and that that's going to be a good test as they battle it out for the top of the metro um any other names stand out to you like ben charat He's rumored. Uh, I don't think yeah. they can afford Giordano's uh, cap hit. Um, Phil Kessel's not going to be a, a Canes player. That's not Rod Brindamore's style. If you're looking at a forward, maybe sure. Nick Letty. Uh, it is, you know. Yeah, I think there's uh, the reality is there's a lot of these deals that make sense player wise for the Canes are either going to be a expensive or b cap issues. A lot of these require money in, money out. If you're looking to add a a really solid defenseman, one of my favorite guys that I think would step in and have a really great impact right away would be an upgrade over Brady on the left side would be Travis Sandheim out of Philadelphia, um, 25 years old. He signed through 2023. He's on a, a good contract for a top four defenseman uh, at right under 4.7. I really like million. that one, Mike. That's a good one. And, and you don't see him, like, rumored a ton. Um, I, I, I really do like that one, especially as Philadelphia kind of fades out of the picture. I, I think that's a, yeah. a great call. Yeah, so we could see her at that. I think you and I are both of the mind, and you're kind of hearing, you know, competing schools of thought. And, you know, unlike how people like to view things in the world now, I, I do think – this situation doesn't have to be black or white. And the com- competing schools of thought here are, are the Canes going to do absolutely nothing 
or are they going to make the big splash? And, and I think it sounds like both of us believe that they can kind of toe the line. I think we both believe they should make a move. Um, and I, I think they will be active at least to add depth. And, and to me, that depth can, can be bringing guys with, like, diversified skill sets without paying a premium. And even if you do end up paying a premium to make the big splashy move, um, they have the assets to do that. So, so they're in a great position. There, there's really no bad move. I just don't believe in sitting on your hands at the deadline because it sends the wrong message to the room. I think the guys want to see you're going to invest in them. And, and, you know, I guess the counter argument to that is, um, well, if you don't make any move, it shows you trust them. I, I think maybe for the, the bottom of the lineup guys, but if, if I'm a star player on a team, I want the front office to show me that, hey, we're in this with you. We're going all in to, to get this done. And, and that, that can just be making tertiary moves. But you got to do something. I think last year winning the what was the central division, uh, sitting on their hands didn't sit well with me. And uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, we've got, what, about a month to the deadline? And uh, a lot's going to happen. Yeah, I don't I think that if they sit on their hands, there's a 0% chance. I can't say zero. I'll give them 1% chance of winning the Stanley Cup if they don't make moves. Every single other contender is going to make moves, and they're going to bolster their lineup. If they decide it's not win-now mode, they won't make moves. I just think I just think the team needs it. I just don't think they are a Stanley Cup team as they're currently built. I think they're very close. I think adding on the defensive end like we talked about could be beneficial i think they need to add a a goal scorer as well and i think there's i mean you look at columbus alone you could i would think that there's a potential that lion a and borkstrand are available those are both going to be expensive they're going to be even more expensive those are going to be really expensive is not only because of the quality of player but because line a is an rfa and Bjorkstrand's under contract till 2026, and they happen to play in the Metropolitan Division, and those deals are are never cheap within the same division. So I don't know if those guys are realistic, but they're out there. I've heard Brock Besser's names be mentioned. He's off and on. Um, he's obviously got the ability to add goal scoring. You got guys like Eberly out in Seattle. Uh, I know that he has a modified no trade or no trade clause, so that would he's got the cards there. Um, you look out on the West Coast, you got Meyer and Hurdle out in San Jose. Those guys could be available. Um, beyond that, the three guys that I would love to add that I think are pipe dreams and extremely unrealistic. Two guys out of. Uh, out of Detroit, Larkin and Bertuzzi. I think if either of those were available, and I don't like Bertuzzi, uh, he's annoying, but the dude is a is a great hockey player. He plays physical with an edge. He would fit in the rod system very well, and he can score. And his contract is a good one, in my opinion. He's 26 years old. He signed through 2023 at $4.75 million, and he's scoring goals very uh efficiently so if those guys if either of those guys are available i would be willing to give up a lot to get either of them and then the biggest pipe dream for me and you and i have talked about this before out of chicago being to if there was if there was any way to get him out of chicago i'd be a huge fan i think he would complement the team he is a pure goal scorer playmaker offensive juggernaut in my opinion I think that he would play extremely well with either of our either of our first or second lines um I would love to see Aho Turbo to Brinkett something like that that line would be an offensive juggernaut in my opinion yeah I mean that would I I love all the names that you mentioned that that one would in particular uh you know even though it doesn't fit the theme of you know, grit in playing that grinder game that we're, you know, at least alluding to the fact that Keynes might need to do, he just would take your offense to a completely different level. And then you're just a juggernaut out there. And, and 
you, you can just outscore people. And they, they kind of have the ability to do that now. I don't think they have to, the ability to do that at a Stanley Cup level. And uh, he would maybe put them on that tier. I, I just keep waiting any, any day. I mean, Chicago's got to blow it up, guys. It, it's just time to, with everything that's gone on in that organization and uh, where that roster stands right now compared to where they're at with the cap and aging, it, it's just time. And so um, I, I don't – have they announced the new GM? Whoever gets that job, if they have or have not announced it, good, good luck to you. Um, but yeah. uh, it, it's time to blow it up. Sorry if you guys can hear my dog. <laughs> no, <laughs> so you stop in. Uh, He's just saying hi. He's saying hi. Hey, Bo. But, yeah, I mean, the issue with the Brinkett is I would think that he would be a centerpiece for what they plan to build on. He's only 24 years of age. Um, his contract expires at the same time that Kane and Taves do, so re-signing him won't be an issue. They're going to have plenty of money available. So I, uh, it would take a lot to get him. Question. So we, we floated this deal, type of deal, in the off season when it came to Jack Eichel. And for us, the the, the price tolerance became too high. And I, mm-hmm. I think that was a deal basically predicated around Natchez. Um, yeah. for, for, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Is that a deal that you wish they would have pursued more, knowing what we know now? Because for I think it's going to take the same type of uh, starting point to get to bring it. Yeah, um, it's interesting for me. I, I think because ultimately when Debrinkit's contract's up, he's going to be in for a big payday. I think the biggest issue with Eichel, regard, like I think you're going to get a similar offensive return out of both players, and there's a $4 million cap difference. So I'd almost rather us make the Debrinkit trade, especially because you already have Ajo, and you would hope that the franchise would invest the money in him once his contract is up. So I would almost rather them target Debrinkit. Well, at this point, you can't target Eichel anymore. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that they have those assets, and I would be completely fine. If Debrinkit was coming back in the trade, I would be fine with Natchez or Jarvis, not both, being yeah, a piece in that trade. Other and then you add from there. And I, I think that's kind of the rubric for a deal that, that does – get done yeah like you said pipe dream i just think it's fun to kind of you know throw out hypotheticals and you know it's also interesting as we go along uh with with this podcast that we can kind of reflect back on some takes we had and uh, i feel pretty good about a lot of what we've said on here and i just think the one thing maybe we balked at in the eichel trade is hey we might have got that wrong because i think we were both envisioning a you know another jump for, for nature, but Hey, it maybe comes at the end of the year, gets hot. He did the same thing last year. Um, but you know, to add a legitimate first line center, in this situation, uh, another first line type winger, uh, with the Brinkett, you know, I, the known commodity, I think we fall in love with youth too much in sports. And, you know, this is yeah. coming for me who, who spent a lot of time playing minor league baseball and the, the next top prospect is always the best one. Right. But, Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the the vet, the known commodity, the guy that's produced at an elite level, is just the better ha- asset. It's it's the bird in the hand, and of course you got to weigh the contracts and the, the compensation and things of that nature. But um, ultimately, I think you want proven commodities. And hey, they're they're in a great position. I, I don't think there's any you know inkling that they need to blow it up or anything. We're not suggesting that. We're just more like we said, talking hypotheticals here. Yep, absolutely. And I'll throw one more name at you. Um, one that I've seen floated around that out of Arizona being Lawson Kraus, he's would be a depth signing. That would be a guy in your bottom six that has the ability to score, play physical. Um, he's he's a guy to keep an eye on because number one, yeah, because it's they got the cap space. He's available. He probably won't be cheap because he's young. He has upside, and obviously the cap hit is. That's a huge add in a situation like this. And he's RFA, so you have control over the player beyond this year. I, that's a, a player I would see the Canes being very high on because um, it just makes sense. For people that don't follow the NHL, 
It'll be like the Canes added who, and it won't be this big, splashy name. But he's the type of guy that plays the game a, a certain way, the way we're kind of indicating we believe the team needs to add. And, and I, I think that's kind of the, the type of move uh, they will make, even if it's not you know explicitly him. Yep. In terms of, so I'll ask you this, in terms of players potentially moving out, whether it's for cap reasons or because you want to see that position upgraded, we've talked about Ethan Bear being a guy that, you know, we think could be upgraded. What what other what other names come to mind for you? Um, I don't think anybody's more on the chopping block right now than, than Ethan Bear. I, I'd honestly be shocked if he was in the lineup uh, come Friday. First Nashville, um, and that's not for Trey. I just think he's going to be the scratch. Um, you know, forward-wise, I, I think you're kind of getting what you'd expect from guys. Um, kind of been rotating a little bit on that, that fourth line. Um, yeah. I like when Stepan's in there, personally. Uh, I think the team just kind of plays better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, who's on the chopping block? I mean, the, the two guys that we are always on the chopping block, it seems like. And it's because it's the two, you know, soon-to-be UFAs, and you're going to lose at least one of them in the offseason anyway. Uh, it's going to be Nino or Trocek, you know, because you got to have money coming out to bring it in. Mm-hmm. Now, I think especially Trocek – you, you got to be cautious about that because I think the Kane center depth is one of their strengths. And I don't think trying to break in um, one of the young guys or, or you know, over slotting mm-hmm. stall is the way to go. Neither sure. has played great here, uh, you know, relative to where I expect him to be. So I, I don't even think he's, uh, you know, the guy that needs to go. I mean, the, the one that I'm most concerned about, but he's not going anywhere because he's the captain, is Jordan Stahl. I mean, you just, frankly, you need more. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he does what he does, but he he's a sieve he's a for offense right now. And you just you, you need more than that because, uh, unfortunately, when he's out there on the ice in the offensive zone, he, he just brings the people around him down. And I, last year was a magical year. I, I know we expected regression, but... Um, it, it's it's been a tough go of it, and he's the kind of big-bodied, physical player. You know, he's not one to really tangle it up too much, but hey, he can be a tone setter uh, in, in the ways that he needs to be as, as the captain of the team. Um, you know, there, there's different styles of leadership. You he can be the, the easygoing, calm guy in the room, but uh, when the games get bigger, he needs to be bigger and. Uh, that includes the offensive side of the game. So he, he's he's the one that I, I'm, you know, kind of keyed on the most right now. Uh, he's in a funk. We, we've seen him break out of it before. We, we don't expect him to be a point-per-game player or any, anything like that. But we need more from, from uh, Jordo. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I would like to see uh, his game elevate um, offensively. We all know what he brings outside of the offense. And he's an important player to the organization, I look at, and you mentioned it a little bit, with I'd rather have Stepan in the lineup than I would Martin Hook right now, personally. The cap hit is also a little bit cheaper for Derek. Um, I could see that being a place to move money out. I don't think it's, I don't think you can move Martin Hook out with, he came back to the organization. He probably could have got paid a little bit more to go somewhere else. Um, I think that would be a, a tough look. I don't think that Waddell is necessarily concerned with that, though, as we've seen in the past with Calvin DeHaan and players like that. Right. So I could see that. I think the, the elephant in the room, though. Go ahead. Yeah, the truth is Lawrence and uh, Stepan are, are, are just playing better, it seems like. I agree. And, and, you know, that doesn't even just have to be point production. I think Stepan's got a little bit more, but it just seems like impactful on the game. And I don't, I don't know if he's nursing something. I know he's missed some time, but um, hasn't been the, like, at least on the ice, we're not in the locker room with these guys, but it hasn't been, you know, that, like, fiery jitterbug presence, you know, agitating. Yeah. And, you know, it just it just hasn't really been there this year. And, and that happens. Guys, guys th- go through funks. We're talking about that with Jordo, But, um you can't have, you know, two of the four guys in your leadership group, you know, not performing. That, that, that's mm-hmm. not like 
letters, right? And um, with, you know, wearing the letters comes the responsibility and that's leading in the locker room, that's leading on the ice and that's doing things the right way. And, hey, a lot of the things those two guys do uh, doesn't get captured by, you know, traditional numbers, but I guess you just need more, man. Your leader's got to be your leaders. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'll just say the elephant in the room, and this is something that we all like we knew would be a, a topic, et cetera. You look at the Kotkaniemi contract, the long term value, amazing. Like I think that he has high upside, so I think that he's gonna get there. I think he's gonna be a second line center in the NHL. I do believe that. I don't think it's this year. It could be as soon as next year. We'll see how he continues um developing. But with that being said, on a team that's in win-now mode, you have a $6 million contract, right? And you are in a position where you would have a tough time moving it because the RFA status doesn't really mean much to other teams because if you're going to qualify him, you're going to be paying him probably more than he's worth next year unless he has a breakout year. So the contract is probably not the easiest to move. I'm not saying I would want to move him, but right now is that cap space a a giant black hole in the roster? Because when I look at it, that's Alex Dabrinkin money, right? Not saying that that's even a reasonable trade. but You guys can go back and listen to it if you really want to, but we both like the move at the time, at the cost, what it could mean for the organization – and the, uh, the unfortunate part of the, the, the move is if this was going to be the team we thought it was going to be, that's not a win-now trade. You know, that, that, that's not a trade that wins you a Stanley Cup this year. That was always a forward-thinking move. And, hey, I, I believe in buying depreciated assets. Uh, it's a great way to team build. But you're right. I mean, that, that is $6 million that cannot be allocated to bring in more production now. And, Hey, KK's really grown on me this year. I know he started out slow. I actually thought he handled the physicality of the game last night. I thought he was one of the more engaged guys on the ice, which was great to see. He settled into this role, and it's good. Uh, And I think he's going to be a great asset for this team, uh, you know, for a long time. I I keep waiting for them to announce the terms. It'll probably be in the offseason at this point, but they're going to re-sign him at at a lower AAV. Um, But you're right. Would I rather – have allocated that money towards the Debrinket, so I didn't have to move out a a Nita Rider or a Trocheck. Yeah, absolutely, ten out of ten, um, because those guys help me win now. And as you guys have heard me say over and over, like when it's your win now window, you need to be all in to win it because your window can close a lot quicker than you think. And we're sitting here now, going, "Hey, we have a, you know, the youngest team in the league, young core, great product. You know, they make the playoffs every year. They're building. They're going to break through." It doesn't always work like that. You know, you're, you're one injury away or the salary cap tightens up and or a guy doesn't develop the way you think they're going to, and that window's closed and you never really hit your ceiling. you you, you got to take your opportunities to, you know, swing the bat when you can. And, you know, it, it's going to be real, you know, five years can go real quick, and all of a sudden our, our useful roster and core is, you know, now old, and they they got to get it done while they can. So we'll see. Yeah, Um I agree, and I think I would be really curious to see, and I, we've talked about this a little bit before, and I, I want to see Natchez at center at some point. And I know that you're not going to play him at center prior. I don't I don't think this is Rod's rationale for it, but I don't think you'd want to play him at center right before you negotiate an extension. Um, the value of that especially if he starts to play well, that contract could uh, add a mill or two to it real quick, right? So, but I've always, he was drafted with the thought of him being an NHL center one day. He's done his developing at the wing. I think he has hit the point where I don't think there's anything left for him at wing. And I, I want to see him in the center of the ice making plays rather than being a peripheral player. Because I think that if you can get him at center, that's your Trocheck replacement immediately. It is, and I, and I think that's what we see next year. Um, question for you, and it, this can go one of two ways. I, I just kind of, what's your off-the-cuff opinion? You know, he, he struggled this year, and that probably makes you a little leery of 
you know, moving out Trocek and then having to slot him or KK into that role uh, or even overslotting Jordo. But do you think a move to center, um, kind of as it did for, for Kakaniemi earlier this year, do you think that could, like, re-engage him a little bit, kind of get him a little bit more involved in the game by giving him more responsibility? He feels more engaged and thus, you know, just sometimes that gets guys going. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, go ahead, go ahead, no, please. No, I totally think it would. I think that it's time. I think I've... I thought this year was the time to try it anyways. I think that I think is worth a shot. I think where he would need to improve, I think he'd have to get a little bit better at faceoffs. Uh the the NHL standard, the hurricane standard for our faceoff guys um is in the 50s, low to mid 50s. Uh, I think he's sitting a tick below 50 in the in the high 40s. You you definitely want to see that number fifty and up, but you got to play him at center more. So, I think I, I I like what you're saying. I do think that that could be something that kick started the rest of the year for him. I just I don't know because you're obviously not going to swap him for Trail right now. Here, as they kind of you know at times maybe self scout into the future because you can play him there intermittently and it's not gonna you know tank the team. He's a, he's a really good player. Um, I, I think right now, his struggles as we touched on last episode, maybe the team is kind of enjoying it a little bit because they're winning at a high level and this is taking money off the, the extension, which has got to feel great for them. Uh, maybe you don't want to risk that by, by throwing that center, as you said. But yeah, I really thought we'd see them sprinkle him at center uh, from game to game, you know, maybe five, six games this year, just to see it, just to see what it looks like. It, hey, we're one injury away from that potentially happening or, or one trade away from that happening. Um, you know, you never want especially injuries to happen, but it, it, it's always a possibility. He obviously has that ability. I just feel like he's been a little – obviously he's been less dynamic. I, I don't know if he's nursing something, um, but just a little bit more disengaged and – um, that's going to happen from time to time, but uh, we, we we need more from him if they're really the team that we hope they will be um, come May June. Absolutely, he's he seems like he's just one step away from really taping, taking that leap to being a close to a point per game player. Uh, I think he has potential to be in the seventies, six high sixties, low seventies as early as next year. I think for him, it's that next step of getting rid of the puck just a little bit quicker. We all see how skilled he is moving the puck. We know what he can do on zone entries and transition and what he can do one-on-one. If he can start to pick his moments a little bit better and make the right play more often than not, it's – that's going to be a huge step for him. And like, like we just talked about, I do think that getting him off the periphery and having him be in the center – position i do think that would would be another element changer for him uh and this could happen you know get exacerbated if you move him to the center and he's having to you know feel like he's learning but just a guy not playing with as much confidence as we've seen him with in the past and you know that just leads to a little bit of indecision he's a little bit slower to make the pass or to make the play um the dynamic ability is still there. It's the guy you, you definitely still want uh, in your lineup every night and to have your organization as a, you know, accruing in value asset. Um, I, I think he turns it on eventually. I think we both feel pretty confident in that, you know, an under the radar story. Uh, Jar- Jarvie's been a little suspect of late, um, not, not really producing, hitting a little bit of a rookie wall, probably getting some film out on him. Um, and he's the one that's being played in the, you know, for the most part, in the the premium slot, he, he's on, you know, he's with Turbo and Aho often, and that's something that's not really being discussed. He he's got to kind of find that touch he had early in the year, and it's not like we can expect a you know first year player to come in and take the world by storm. But um, he he's been a little lackluster of late. I mean, this has all kind of been hidden by the fact that the schedule's kind of been choppy. There was the break in there too, and I think it's a little bit masked by you know. Fetch has kind of been, you know, blacked out here of late. He, he's making the jump. He, he's a point-per-game player right now. Uh, he's been the hottest player on the team the past two weeks, and or two weeks of play. 
uh, you know, has come all the way back, and now he's only one goal behind Ajo for the team lead. He's got to continue to do – that can't be a fluke, though. This is who he's got to be going forward. Because um, if he can be that guy, that's what we've always talked about, right? Like, the biggest mm-hmm. difference on this team offensively is if that guy can become one of the, you know, best players in the world. Because as good as Sebastian Ajo is, he doesn't have that upside – because he doesn't have that physical component that Svech has, which gives him a more well-rounded, you know, offensive game. And, you know, there's still issues with, with 37 from time to time, uh, you know, mental lapses and, you know, being out of place defensively. But he plays the game the right way, and you just got to be thrilled with what he's showing right now. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's The team is rounding into form um, The the long-term – prospects of this team look amazing hopefully we can make something special happen this year but regardless of what happens this year the team is set up to be special in the long run so can't can't complain um anything else this was fun tonight yeah i think one quick note we'll talk uh roster news um we added another goalie to uh chicago with uh kachatov having the remainder of the KHL season canceled. They went straight to playoffs. His team was not in playoff comp or in the playoffs. So he was now available. Um, the team brings him in. He had a really great season in the KHL. It's it's good news because you're looking at McAniemi, who has had some injury issues this season, but when he was playing this season, was playing really well. Kachitov played really well in the KHL. He gets to be in North America a little sooner than we expected, which – I think he's ready for in his development. Um, you got LaFontaine that just signed as well. So you got three goalies right there, not to mention Lyon, who's your your older kind of vet goalie you got down there, and then Wells and Warm as well. So out of nowhere, the goaltender depth in the organization has uh, increased dramatically. What are you talking but I, I was told that uh, the Canes were devoid of goaltenders after they traded Ned. I, I was told that they could never figure it out at that position again. It's, it's <laughs> doom and gloom season this summer. But here we are. Uh, Tony D'Angelo is a bona fide Dougie Hamilton replacement. Frederick Anderson's a, a Vesna candidate, and they have depth out the wazoo at goalie. Um, it, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. And, most importantly, thank you for not making me say those names because I would have put them. Oh, I got you. Don't even worry <laughs> about it. All right, brother. This was fun. Uh, thank you all for joining us, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Take care.